So when I was younger, I remember hearing that if you fart and burp at the same time that it creates a vacuum in your stomach <laughs> and I believed this for a really long time and I thought any time that I like needed to burp and fart at the same time that I had to do one before the other <laughs> otherwise I would die a cue system yes exactly <laughs> and then one day it happened without uh, without, without warning yeah sure. and I was fine and you were like and I was like on. actually that does sound fake yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um Anyway, welcome back to the Bloody Bizarre Podcast. <laughs> My name's Emma. I'm Sarah. And we do also still have young Rebecca here with Special us. Special guest, Becky. Yeah. Who, Becky, we figured out that you weren't listening to the podcast, which is so rude considering you're a founding member. Yeah, but we found out without you telling us. Because mm. I just said some things about you and I was like, let's well, see. Well, I knew from the listening map. Yeah, well. It's fucking rude is what it is. Mm. Um... Now, is there anyone you want to call out at the very beginning? Um, a couple of people uh, sent me little screenshots of their Spotify rap, speaking of Spotify. We spoke about this last week. Yeah, and we were their number one podcast, which is Who? embarrassing for, for me <laughs> to, to think about them listening to us talking that much, <laughs> but also really, really nice. Who? So Drew um, was one person. Was shit, I think. Jack was one who listened to us a lot. I think Lockie might have been one. Um, Lockie already has a shirt. Yeah, so Lockie's already good. got a shirt. So you, you don't get another one. Sorry, Lockie. And Lockie got a Lockie got okay. a special edition one because he requested a black one. He wanted a black one. Yes. I'm gonna make a red bu- a red bubble store so that people can buy them themselves because it's getting kind of pricey. <laughs> Because, you know, it's getting I'm out losing, of here. Losing a lot of money here. <laughs> How much does it cost for you to make one shirt? About 35 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I've sent out a few, so. <laughs> um, yeah, make a make a store. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't really know either, but I'm going to figure it out. Um, anything else? Mm, no, I don't think so. Thanks to um, those folks that listen to us often. So today I'm going to tell you a story. Um <laughs> My sources are Wikipedia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Smithsonian Magazine.com article by Bruce Selcraig, uh, World History Encyclopedia.com article by Mark Cartwright. Those two names are difficult, difficult to say because it's the same sound as the end and the first name. Mm-hmm, Bruce mm-hmm. Selcraig, Mark Cartwright. Yeah. Uh, NationalGeographic.org and a HuffPost.com article by K. Ford K. Is it called HuffPost now? Uh, is it not called Huffington Post. Anymore? No, I think it is called Huffington Post, but um, there's some reason why it's called Huff Post. Okay, don't ask me what it is. They're trying to be cool. Maybe. All right. Okay, I'm going to take you to the past today, all the way back to the 1600s. Oh, this is unlike you. I know. It's so difficult for my brain to comprehend that like things happened at that at that time period yeah. in that time period anyway um 1676 a man named alexander Selcraig, later going by the surname selkirk was born in lower largo fife scotland scotland um i'm going to refer to him as selkirk going forward for simplicity and because most people know him as alexander selkirk but he was born selkirk Selkirk was the son of a shoemaker and tanner and was said to be, quote, quarrelsome and unruly in his youth. (laughs) 
So naughty was young Alexander that he was summoned before the church session in 1693 for his, quote, indecent conduct in church, end quote. I wonder, church- what, I wonder what he did. Yeah. I bet he, like, giggled. Yeah. Giggled. <laughs> um, Farted. Uh, Farted and birthed. He was like, I wanted to test it out. A church session is like a governing body for each church, if you didn't know. Okay. In contemporaneous records, Selkirk is noted, amongst other things, for engaging in numerous fights and, quote, illicit fornication. Ooh. So I think he was probably just fucking around town. Okay. Bit you of know, a wild boy. You can't be doing that in F- Lower, Lower Largo, Fife, Scotland in the 1600s. Mm, mm. He was a man born too early for... Mm. Um, Alexander, I wanted to say Dra, it's duh, I think for boys, uh, never showed for his church hearing. However, he never turned up as he'd gone to see. Oh, okay. He was a buccaneer from early on and enjoyed the lifestyle. He enjoyed many expeditions, one of particular note, which I'll talk about shortly. Selkirk was back in Largo by 1701 and quickly came to the church authorities' attention once again as he was wanted for assaulting his family. Well, that's not fun. It's not fun. By all accounts, the 25-year-old Selkirk was a hothead. He'd beaten up his father and two brothers and his brother's wife over a harmless prank and would later leave both the women who claimed to be his wife. So he was angry, he was fighting. One of the oldest accounts, uh, 1829's The Life and Adventures of Alexander Selkirk by John Howell, describes Selkirk as, quote, spoiled and wayward, made only worse by the indulgence of his mother, who concealed as much as she could his faults from his father, end quote. Right. So a mummy's boy. Selkirk's mother, uh, Euphen Mackey, apparently believed that Alexander as the seventh... What's her name? Euphen Mackey. How do you know Euphen? E U P H A N. Nor have I. Well, it's a, a Scottish 1600s it's name. It's a Scottish name. Believed that Alex, as the seventh son, was blessed with luck and should be encouraged in his dreams of going to sea. His father, John, wanted him to stay home and help with his tannery and shoemaking business, creating an ongoing dispute that caused so much, quote, domestic strife and bickering, end quote. Howell um, wrote that, that John threatened to disinherit Alexander. So his dad hated him, his mum loved him. Mm -hmm. Um, He didn't stay long in town, and by 1703, he was back at sea. He joined the expedition of English privateer and explorer William Dampier to the South Pacific. And I'm correct in thinking that privateers were early pirates. Mm -hmm. They were basically government-sanctioned pirates. Yes. And I think I explain what privateers are in a second, but if you want to go back and listen to a pirate episode, I think I mentioned that soon. It's like episode seven. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that's where I learned that. Yeah, me too. Uh, So he set sail from Kinsale in Ireland. In school, one biographer suggests he'd shown some skill at math and geography, and with at least one voyage under his belt, he was able to convince Dampier that he was the man to navigate the Dampier's next privateering expedition. This, This is the thing about the olden days that is so wild, is that people could just talk their way into crazy positions and mm. like you could just be like i'm good at this thing give me the highest ranking job and yeah. people would be like yeah okay seems like he's got his head on right yeah yeah it's insane yeah it's at this point however for reasons unclear that selkirk is sorry sel craig is forever known as selkirk so 
It suggested that he deliberately changed his name at sea to distance himself from his past. Uh-huh. Another suggestion is that someone just simply misunderstood him and then he just went by that name. Sure. Or as some researchers say, consistent spelling of names didn't matter much back then. So he said Sel Craig, it was written down as Selkirk. Because not many guess. people could read and write properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is where I mentioned our Pirates episode. So our Pirates episode was way back at episode seven. And um, it's in that episode that I explained that privateers are basically like government-sanctioned pirates. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this expedition carried letters from the Lord High Admiral authorizing their armed merchant ships to attack foreign enemies. Dampier was captain of a ship called St. George and Selkirk served as sailing master on Sink Ports. That was the name of the ship. St. George's companionship. So St. George was Sinkport's companionship and they sailed together. Sinkport's was captained by Charles Pickering and by this time Selkirk had considerable experience at sea. After two weeks, with 50 miles being a good day's travel under Selkirk's navigation, the ships had reached the Portuguese island of Madeira, 350 miles west of Morocco, then the Cape Verde Islands, a major slave port west of Senegal, and on across the Atlantic to Brazil. But literally on the first night, while still in Ireland, a drunken Dampier had a violent argument with one officer and dissension quickly spread amongst the crew. By October, the men were sick of brick-hard sea biscuits, dried peas and salt meat. They longed for fresh meat and vegetables, but settled for the occasional shark, dolphin or bird. As on most ships of the day, the men often slept in wet clothes and mildewed bedding. The ships were incubators for typhus, dysentery and cholera. A month later, 15 men had fever and others were racked by scurvy caused by a vitamin C deficiency, which claimed more lives than contagious diseases, gunfire or shipwreck. Things only got worse when Captain Charles Pickering died of a fever in late November and command of the sink ports was given to his lieutenant, Thomas Stradling, a young upper-class seaman the crew disliked. There were fights and near mutinies as the ship cruised the coast of Brazil. The meat and grain were filled with cockroaches and rat droppings. In February 1704, both ships were finally west of Cape Horn's foul storms and headed north along the coast of Chile though by now they'd have lost sight of each other. So they were, were sailing together and the storms and everything else that went on made them lose sight of each other. The sink ports hold up at a rendezvous point on one of the islands in the archipelago west of Valparaiso, but the crew... Someone's sneezing. I bet she was. Uh. He thought he heard something. He was going... <laughs> um... But the crew was threatening mutiny against straddling. So despite being in this kind of safe location or safer location, the crew was angry. Dampier showed up just in time to put down the rebellion by promising a tighter rein on cocky straddling. But shortly, he too faced dissent among his sailors who wanted him to attack more ships. So they wanted to fight and they were like, this is fucking boring. The privateers did soon engage in an attack and fought a long battle with a well-armed French vessel, St. Joseph, only to have it escape to warn its Spanish allies of their arrival in the Pacific. A raid on the Panamanian gold mining town of Santa Maria failed when their landing party was ambushed. The easy capture of Asantheon, a heavily... (laughs) A heavily laden merchantman, which is basically a merchant ship, uh, revived the men's hopes of plunder, and Selkirk was put in charge of that ship. Are you following so far? Yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> is it a lot of information? It's just a lot of names. Yeah, a lot of captain names. Mm. Um, 
Basically, all you need to know is that Selkirk mm. is in charge of this ship that they've just captured. Mm-hmm. So, um, Dampier shook some of the much-needed provisions of wine, brandy, sugar, and flour, and then abruptly set the ship free, arguing that the gain was not worth the effort. Wait, what happened? So, so Selkirk was briefly given this ship. And he set them free. No, Dampier then was like, actually, we'll take what we want and then we're not going to take the ship. It's not worth it. Okay. So in May 1704, Captain Stradling decided to abandon Captain Dampier and strike out on his own. So remember, these are the two captains that have been sailing together this whole time. Then Captain Stradling is like, this is the cocky guy. This is the young cocky guy. He's like, "Mm, actually, I'm going to go on alone. Okay. In 1704, after parting ways with Dampier, uh, Captain Stradling brought sink ports to an island known to the Spanish as Mas a Tierra. It's located in the uninhabited Juan Fernandez Archipelago, 670 kilometers or 420 miles off the coast of Chile for a mid-expedition restocking of fresh water and supplies. After about a month on the island, the ship was restocked with goats, crayfish and turnips that turnips grew naturally on the island but selkirk had grave concerns about the seaworthiness of their vessel and wanted to make the necessary repairs before going any further the ship was battle-worn and had been eaten away by worms the men were bailing water nearly around the clock selkirk argued with the 21 year old captain stradling uh, who insisted the ship could handle the remainder of the voyage selkirk declared that he would rather stay on the deserted island than continue in a dangerously leaky ship stradling took him up on the offer and marooned Selkirk on the island of Masatiara with a musket, pistol, gunpowder, hatchet, knife, his navigation tools, a pot for boiling food, two pounds of tobacco, some cheese and jam, a flask of rum, and his Bible. Selkirk immediately regretted his rashness, pleading to be let back on board and not be left behind on the deserted and desolate island, but Stradling refused to let him back on board. Was anyone with him or was he all by himself? He was all by himself. Oh, I, like I don't like him because he sounds like a bit of an asshole. Yeah, but I, I feel sorry for him. And Selkirk sounds like an asshole. Sorry, not Selkirk. Um, Stradling is an asshole too. Yeah. So, I I do wonder if like because you know he wasn't liked back home in his community. Mm. I wonder if he also was not liked on the ship. I bet. And so they I were bet. kind of like, here's our opportunity. Let's yeah. just leave him here. <laughs> And he's like, and then he's like, can I come back on board? And they're like, no, you said, yeah, you said, sorry. You said you wanted to say. (laughs) (laughs) So not for nothing, Selkirk was later proven correct as sink ports was found in a bad shape sinking off the coast of what is now Colombia. Stradling and some of his crew survived the loss of their ship, but were forced to surrender to the Spanish. The survivors were taken to Lima, Peru, where they endured a harsh imprisonment. Uh, So Selkirk was left on the island. He believed it would be no longer than a few days before an ally ship would come by to collect him. Little did he know that he would become an accidental hero and the inspiration for Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. Ah, okay. The long intro, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, like, who is this guy? <laughs> um, but if I started here, it would be like a 10 minute episode. So, you know, <laughs> you got to pat it sometimes, right? Um... Okay. As the Smithsonian article put it, quote, Selkirk was a bit of a bastard, more respected in his absence than in his presence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Today, 
Uh, Lower Lago's tribute to its famous son consists of one bedroom size exhibit room at the Crusoe Hotel, where there are some artifacts and photographs of the Juan Fernandez archipelago um, side of his marooning and an outdoor statue of Selkirk on Main Street dressed in goat skins looking out to say, Mm. plot it on the map. Yeah, I'll go say it. Okay. There is no evidence that Selkirk ever kept a diary. He may have been illiterate, though historians disagree on that. So what we know of his time on the island comes primarily from two sources. His eventual rescuer, Captain Woods Rogers, an English privateer who wrote a cruising voyage around the world about his 1708-1711 expedition, and English essayist and playwright Richard Steele, who interviewed Selkirk in 1711 for the magazine The Englishman. According to them, Selkirk was so despondent for the first several months that he contemplated suicide and almost welcomed the hunger pains each day because it at least occupied his mind. He had, however, heard stories from Dampier and others about several men who'd survived alone on Juan Fernandez. One for five years and a mosquito Indian named Will who made it alone for three years and is thought by some to be the model for Robinson Crusoe's man Friday. So there's another character in Robinson Crusoe that's called Friday. Okay. Um, at first, Selkirk remained along the shoreline of Masadiera. Uh, during this time, he noticed that fish were plentiful, but they, quote, you'll like this, Beck, occasioned a looseness of in his bowels. <laughs> <laughs> so he stuck with the huge island lobster, which were actually a clawless crayfish, and scanned the ocean daily for rescue, suffering all the while from loneliness, misery, and remorse. Groups of aggressive sea lions gathered on the beach for the mating season. Uh, there were so many fur seals that a buccaneer had written 20 years earlier, quote, we were forced to kill them to set our feet on shore, end quote. I mean, I yeah, you weren't forced to. You could have just not gone on shore. Yeah. Um, he eventually ventured into the island's interior. Once inland, his way of life took a turn for the better. More foods were available. Um, there were. Feral- Did it take him months to to like no, think it w- about? <laughs> it wouldn't have been months. It wouldn't have been months. But he was like he was living out on the. He like walked like a couple of feet, and he was like, "Oh, there's like coconuts and berries, and like, <laughs> this is a, a stream with water." And <laughs> I think what he was doing houses. Was- <laughs> Civilization. That's a fucking Walmart. I think what he was doing was he was like, um, he was living, he set up camp on the shore so that mm. he could keep an eye out for like boats and stuff. But then when the seals came for the mating season, he was forced to, to move inland and like move his abode inland. Yeah, I know, but I don't know why you wouldn't do that earlier if you were so like bored and like hungry. All right, let's drop you on an island, hey? <laughs> let's drop you on an island and see how you. I reckon fare. I'd do better than this guy. That's a do a bit of a recce, like see what's out there. That's a um, a challenge that you've thrown out. And if if I were straddling, I'd I'd be a regular Ada Blackshot. Hey. <laughs> Um, funny you should mention her because there's kind of parallels at some point in this. Yeah, except she was lovely by all accounts. Yeah, she was, but hang on. Remember our, our mate Vic? <gasps> hang on. <laughs> so um, he eventually mentioned into the island's interior. Once inland, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so inside the island or inland, I guess, there were feral goats introduced by earlier sailors. Uh, they provided him with meat and milk. Yeah, he could make cheese. There were, it's always, you're always thinking about how to make cheese. <laughs> always got cheese on the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How in this situation can I get cheese? <laughs> he had wild turnips. You mentioned the turnips before. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think they're a big deal. They provide a lot of nutrients for them. Um, the leaves of the indigenous cabbage tree and dried pink peppercorns offered, offered him variety and spice. Mm, nice. So he used to, apparently he made this really nice stew and it was like um, mm. goat, um, goat turnip uh, cabbage stew and seasoned with pepper. Pepper, yeah. yeah. As his gunpowder dwindled, he had to chase prey on foot. During one such chase, he was badly injured when he tumbled from a cliff, lying helpless and unable to move for about a day at the bottom of the cliff. His prey had cushioned his fall, probably sparing him from a broken back. How lucky, though. Yeah, for him. For him. Not for the goat. No, that's, that's obvious. Eventually, he grew so nimble, running barefoot on the steep hills above the bay, that he could chase down any goat he wanted. Quote, he ran with wonderful swiftness through the woods and up the rocks and hills, Caps and Rogers would later observe. Quote, we had a bulldog, which we sent with several of our nimblest runners to help him in catching goats, but he distanced and tired both the dog and the men. You know, (laughs) pretty good. (laughs) Sarah's now just thinking about how she's going to beat him. Here's my competition. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, doesn't sound that good. Um, okay, here we go. This is this is my favorite part of this whole thing. This is probably why I did this story. Yeah. Rats would attack him at night, but he was able to sleep soundly and safely by domesticating and living near feral cats. Yay. They slept in his hut with him at night, keeping the rats at bay. A few of the cats even followed him like dogs on his hunting expeditions and he also tamed goat kids. Sometimes in the moonlight, he danced with his cats and goats for company. Oh my god, <laughs> so cute! In the moonlight. In the moonlight, there's like a there's a, a hand drawn picture of him dancing with his goats and his cats. How did he? How did they dance? Well, you hold up their front legs and you dance with them. <laughs> Have you never danced with a cat or a goat? <laughs> Why in the moonlight too? Like when there was a full moon, he's like, "What's well, party time?" Yeah, around the campfire, get the goats and the kids out. <laughs> no, 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 he was he would sing. Um, Selkirk proved resourceful in using materials that he found on the island. He forged a new knife out of barrel hoops left on the beach. He built two huts out of pimento wood and covered them with long grasses, lining the interiors with wild goat skins. One hut he used for cooking and the other for sleeping. And he employed his musket to hunt goats and his knife to clean their carcasses. And as you know, when he ran out of gunpowder, he just chased the goats down. And just like what, choked them or something? Uh, stabbed them with his knife. Oh, okay. Yeah. Quote, thoroughly reconciled to his condition, wrote Steele, his life became one continual feast and his being much more joyful than it had before been irksome. He learned to live without his vices, alcohol and tobacco, even salt, and found new fascination in the hummingbirds and turtles he had likely ignored previously. Cute. It's almost like a... um... A parable? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Childhood lessons learned from his father, a tanner, now served him well. When his clothes wore out, he made new ones from hair-covered goat skins using a nail for sewing. As his shoes became unusable, he didn't need to replace them since his toughened, calloused feet made protection unnecessary. He sang psalms and read from the Bible, finding a comfort in his situation and a prop for his English. During his time on the island, two vessels came to anchor. Unfortunately for Selkirk, both were Spanish. So as a Scotsman and a privateer, he'd been, he would have faced a grim fate if captured and therefore did his best to hide. 
Once, he was spotted and chased by a group of Spanish sailors from one of the ships. His pursuers urinated beneath the tree in which he was hiding, but failed to notice him. Yeah, good luck catching up to him. He can outrun a bulldog. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why they chose a bulldog. I I guess it's like all they had, but bulldogs are like fucking slow barrels. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe 1700s bulldogs were different. Oh, probably different. Yeah, Yeah. you're probably right. But thinking about a a bulldog. A modern day bulldog. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah, they can hardly breathe standing still. Yeah. (laughs) I could outrun a bulldog. (laughs) All right, there you go again. Just, you know, comparing yourself to him. Um, that's not that impressive. I could do that. <laughs> so uh, the would-be captors then gave up and sailed away. It would be over four years before Selkirk would make it off the island. He's like Tom Hanks in Castaway. He's like Robinson Crusoe on Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> um, February 1709, Selkirk would finally see Captain Woods Rogers' ship named Duke finally appear before him on the horizon and make its way to the island. By then... Selkirk was like a bearded beast on two legs, clothed in goatskins, and quote, so much forgot his language for want of use that we could scarce understand him, for he seemed to speak his words by halves. I also wonder if that's just Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) I... He offered Roger's men goat soup and told his stories of survival as best he could. He might not have been believed, but Roger's navigator was none other then William Dampier, the very first captain that Stradling separated from. So he recognised Selkirk as a comrade from the St. George, um, Sink Port's voyage. Dampier likely told Selkirk the bittersweet news that he'd been all too right about the decrepit Sink Ports. Rogers helped Selkirk shave and gave him clothes. The crew offered him food, but his diet of fresh fish, goat, and vegetables made the Duke's stale and oversalted rations hard to stomach. <laughs> his rock-hard calloused feet swelled in the constraint of shoes. In recognition of not only his past skill, but also perhaps his ordeal, Rogers made him a navigator once again. Upon leaving, this is so sad, upon leaving, Selkirk worried most about his hundred cats. Hundred? He had a hundred cats. Fuck me. <laughs> Well, what's he going to do? Stop him from fucking? He doesn't have, like, the skills to neuter them. <laughs> um, they were so tame that they were semi-dependent on the goat meat he fed them, and he knew they could not all survive without him. I reckon they would have been okay. I mean, they've got rats. Yeah. He was worried about them. His babies. That's his hundred babies. His hundred children. <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention the fucking goat kids. Yeah, that he was dancing with. Yeah, his dancing partners. So when the sailors finally convinced him to leave the island, it broke his heart to leave his cats, and he cried like a baby until the island was out of sight. Aww. It's sad he couldn't bring, like, one or two. Yeah, I yeah. bet he did. I bet it's just not mentioned. Finally, he was headed home, but not immediately. Rogers would have so much success off the coast of Peru and Ecuador, robbing Spanish galleons, that the Duke stayed at sea another two years, not returning home until October 1711 eight years after Selkirk left it. Oh. For the better part of two years, he dined out on his adventures, wandering from pub to pub in Bristol and London, telling tales of the South Seas for free meals and a pint. But some months after first meeting Selkirk, Steele noticed that the cheerful man that he had encountered now seemed burdened by the world. Quote, this plain man's story is memorable, is a memorable example, Steele wrote, that he is happiest who confines his wants to natural necessities, or to use Selkirk's own expression, 
I am now worth 800 pounds, but she'll never be so happy as when I was not worth a farthing. When he finally returned to Lower Largo, he wanted little to do with his relatives. Some biographers say, though others doubt, that he began trying to replicate the best of his life on Juan Fernandez down to a cave-like shelter he built behind his father's house, from which he would gaze upon the Largo Harbour. He evidently became something of a loner and resumed his drinking and fighting. About this time, Daniel Defoe, a well-known British political activist and author, grew intrigued by Selkirk's story. Though it's been disputed whether Defoe actually ever met Selkirk, uh, he did meet with Woods Rogers, the captain that saved him. A few dispute that the story of Selkirk inspired what would become Defoe's literary sensation, The Life and Strange Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. Is that written in the 1700s? Mm, yeah. Wow. Crusoe became one of the world's most recognised fictional characters, but the author, who had been repeatedly imprisoned for his opposition to the British government, remained anonymous initially. Quote, It wasn't a comfortable time for controversial writers, says Maximilian Novak, author of Daniel Defoe, Master of Fictions, His Life and Ideas. Quote, One British bookseller had already been hanged. Defoe had attacked corporate power and the High Church of England. Crusoe definitely made him some money but he sold the copyright and ultimately only made a fraction of what he deserved, end quote. Fun fact about the, Robin, about the story Robinson Crusoe, it's claimed to be only second to the Bible in its number of translations. Wow. Yeah. I guess that'll happen if you write something in the 1700s. If it's super old, yeah. Um, as for Selkirk, in November 1720, at age 44, he returned to the only life that ever meant anything to him, signing on as the first mate of a naval warship, the HMS Weymouth, bound for Guinea and the Gold Coast of Africa in search of pirates. It would be another cursed voyage, plagued by yellow fever and perhaps typhoid. In all his travels, Selkirk had never seen the fever destroy as many men as this. The ship's terse log recorded dozens of deaths within a year's time, often three or four a day. Um, On December 13th, 1721, it recorded another, quote, North to Northwest, small breeze and fair took three Englishmen out of a Dutch ship and at 8pm Alexander Selkirk died. From typhoid? Not sure. From something. Um, As with the others, they threw his body overboard. He returned to the sea that he loved so much. To whence he came. And that is the story of Robinson Crusoe and Alexander Selkirk. Cool. Nice one. I hope you enjoyed that free lesson. (laughs) (laughs) It was informative. Yeah. Any questions? I was going to ask, what is on that island now? Is it like inhabited by people or is it still I, fairly? I think it's pretty remote, but I think that there is inhabitants now. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to find a photo of Alexander Selkirk or it would have to be a drawing rather. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I find a fucking photo of him? <laughs> oh, well, here's one of him dancing with his cats. Oh, he's not really dancing. He's sitting down. He's just making the cat dance. Right. There is one of him dancing, though. But, um, <laughs> That's what I pictured. Yeah. Um, remember how I said one of my, quote, one of my um, sources was by a man named something Selcraig? Yeah. That's one of his direct descendants. So apparently his brother had some kids and that's... Um, yeah, so hang on. Let me tell you his name again. His name was... Pretty cool, like, family history. I know. <laughs> Bruce Selcraig. So he wrote the Smithsonian Magazine article. Um, yeah. So he's that's like, oh, yeah, he's my great-great-great-uncle or something. Yeah, and don't you know that he made it very clear that his name was Selcraig, not Selkirk? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, it is my uncle. <laughs> 
He just changed his name. They got it wrong. They got it wrong. This is when he changed his name. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, hope you enjoyed it, listeners. Um, now, we have one more before the end of the year. Do we? So, in, according to the planner we do, and it's yours. Oh, bloody hell. Okay. <laughs> what do you want to do? The, if we record one more, it'll go out on 31st of December. Um, I guess we should. Okay. Like, go to the end of the year because then we're going to take like a month, a month off, off yeah. yeah okay so this is the penultimate episode yeah okay i guess i'll figure out something good to do i don't think i have picked one for the end of the year because okay. i thought that this was the last one so i will i'll try and think of a good one okay if you can't i can try and fill in tap in yeah okay maybe mm. um all right well yeah Thanks for listening once again, everyone. Thanks. Merry Christmas or happy holidays or whatever. Yeah, I hope you don't have to work the Christmas period. Yeah. I suck for you to do. Most Most people people do. do. Yeah. Sorry about it. Yeah. Capitalism, eh? Yeah. (laughs) That bit. All right. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye.